Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, October 13th, as Virginia Tech gets set for possibly its most important game of the season, a showdown with Pittsburgh on Saturday afternoon in Lane Stadium. On episode 199 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll go through Pitt's explosive offense, the Hokies' struggles with injuries heading into this game, and how the winner of this game will end up in the driver's seat for the ACC Coastal. All that and much more on episode 199 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you into episode 199 of the Tech Sideline podcast. No matter where you're listening, live or archived, if you are listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, we welcome you in. If you are watching archived on YouTube, we ask you to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you are in the live YouTube video, please drop a comment or question below for Will or Chris, and we will get to those with Katie at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline podcast is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful wrestlers to Blacksburg as training partners and athletes and one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the entire country. For more information, go to southeastrtc.com and you can donate there today. As always, I'm your host, Jake Lyman. We have our usual Wednesday crew on set, Will Stewart, Tech Sideline's founder and general manager. To my left, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline, Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair today, it is Katie Adams. She will have some trivia, some nuggets, some stats at the midway point of of the show and also get to your questions and comments at the end and behind the scenes the best podcast producer in the land will stewart yeah malcolm stewart Ma- malcolm stewart his son there <laughs> we go got two <laughs> drops today. <laughs> i was almost perfect all the way through that until the very end you do an excellent job you do an excellent job well, it's going to be a fun podcast today, a huge game coming up, 3.30 kickoff in Lane Stadium on Saturday, Virginia Tech and Pitt. Winner is the all-outright leader in the ACC Coastal about halfway through the season, so going to be a fun one. But before we get into football, I want to congratulate Chris, his Atlanta Braves moving on to the NLCS last I night. I actually got to, I watched the game and I actually won. Yeah, because well, you they, said. They won because I tuned in at the beginning of the eighth <laughs> inning, right? Uh, I see. And then Freddie Freeman did his thing. And, yep. uh, and who, who was the pitcher in the ninth inning with that nasty slider? That slider was crazy. Oh, yeah, Will that. Smith. He's a closer. Yeah. Will Smith? Yeah. Will Smith. Not only is he a rapper and an accomplished <laughs> <laughs> but now he's, like, closing out the National League Division Series. Yep. So, like, I couldn't get into baseball last year because there were no fans. Yep. Um, so I didn't watch the playoffs at all last year. And they actually won a series last year for the first time since 2001, a playoff series. But, so this is to me, this is their first real playoff series since I was a freshman in college that they won. Wow. Yep. 
So the Braves hadn't won a series. No, they're, they're in the playoffs almost every year, but they hadn't won any wow. of the series. Or wow, wild card games. They, they lost a wild card, one of those one-game wild card games one time, <laughs> partly thanks to that crazy infield fly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I'll never forget. Anyway. <laughs> so they, I, I didn't see, did the Dod- Dodgers beat the Giants last night? So uh, the Dodgers did beat the Giants. So uh, they've got game five coming up. Yeah, so I, I'm actually slightly toying with, like, flying down to Atlanta for, like, one night. Like, flying down in the afternoon or morning and then flying back immediately after just to go to a playoff <laughs> baseball game because I've never been able to go to one before. And uh, now we have David Cunningham. That's true. <laughs> You've got somebody to cover up when you're gone. Yep. Um, I believe so. If the Giants win, it would start in San Francisco. If not, it would start in Atlanta. That's right. So, definitely good playoff baseball. And then the ALCS is going to be Astros and Red Sox in the ALCS. So, a lot going on in the sports world. But here we're here to talk about Virginia Tech football. I want to start with just the the importance of this game. You look at the ACC Coastal right now. It's pretty much a two horse race. You've got Georgia Tech, Duke, and Virginia all have two losses already in the conference this season. North Carolina has three losses already, two and three. They've already played five of their eight conference games. And then Miami 0-1, but they play at UNC this week without Derek King for the rest yeah. of the season. So it feels like it's Pitt or Virginia Tech, and the winner of this game not only takes the lead, but also gets the head-to-head tiebreaker. So, by the way, uh, UNC and Miami are on, like, the ACC network. And I, who saw that coming at the beginning of the year? That that looked like a like a prime time Saturday matchup. There. I, I wonder they, they were both ranked at the beginning of the year. I wonder if Jim Phillips is like looking at the current football situation in the ACC for this year, and he's like, "What in the world did, get, did I get myself into? Like, I'm trying to sell the ACC network to Comcast, yeah, and now like we've what do we have like one ranked team." Yes, and so let's segue into that. NC State, I don't remember who they're playing, but NC State is ranked. They're also on the ACC network this weekend. Right. So that that's where the ACC is right now. Even their ranked teams are winding up on the network that, you know, I don't want to say nobody gets it. Jim Phillips said this morning on Packard and Durham that it goes out to 70 million homes or something like that. But they don't include Comcast. Homes. That not everybody and, gets. And I'm yeah. telling you, they're staring down the barrel of having in their ACC title game be Wake Forest versus Pitt versus in Charlotte. Pitt. Yeah. And look, these tight championship games, when they first started, like back in 2000, whatever. 2005 was uh, the first championship yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they used to be worth a lot of money, like relative to the TV contract, relative, re- right. relative to the revenue schools brought in on a yearly basis. Yeah. Now they're a drop in the bucket. Yeah. All the, all they're about these days is branding. Like, let's show our conference brand on national television to everybody. And the brand the ACC is running the risk of showing in, in early December is a half-empty stadium. It's a stadium that looks uh, like a COVID stadium. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's a game where, like, nationally, like – you're not going to watch this if you're in some other state and you don't care anything about the about the ACC. Now, you're flipping through the channels and it's Virginia Tech and Clemson or Virginia Tech and NC State and the stadium is full and it's loud. Man. You'll watch it, but you're not going to watch this. Well, and usually ACC championships, at least for the last six, seven years, it's been, can somebody upset Clemson, keep them right. out of the college football playoff, or can, can Clemson lock up their spot in that top four? Clemson's not going to be there this year, it seems like almost guaranteed at this point they're unranked uh, and the yeah. offenses look bad a uh, big game next week Pitt and clemson coming up so Hokies fans may be rooting for the tigers to finally get back on track there yeah, yeah. um yeah. and but you know it's kind of the same thing uh you look at the virginia tech versus Pitt matchup th- this week 
and you look at the Clemson pit matchup next week and you're like, okay, this will be the most significant challenge that the pit offense has faced so far because they have not faced good defenses. But at the same time, like you look at the Clemson offense and you look at the Virginia Tech offense and you're like, how in the world can either one of those teams find a way to outscore Kenny Pickett? I mean, Virginia Tech could and probably will hold Pitt to their season low in points. But, I mean, you could hold Pitt to 30 points, and that's a good game, but Virginia Tech, they don't score 30 points. So what does that matter? And, you know, you could make a similar argument with with Clemson. Clemson. And I looked through the schedule for the rest of these, for both teams the rest of the way. So basically the winner of this game has a two-game buffer over the other one. Virginia Tech, if they're 2-0 and Pitt's 1-1, Pitt has to outplay them by two games to leapfrog them for the Coastal Championship. Pitt does play four out of their final six games at home, while Mm. Virginia Tech plays four out of their final six on the road. But Pitt's opponents seem to be a little bit tougher, at least talent-wise. Clemson and North Carolina still on the schedule for Pittsburgh. So Mm. there's still a lot up in the air, but do you think if Virginia Tech loses this game to Pitt on Saturday, do you think there's – even an outside shot that they could still come back and pass them to win the Coastal? I don't think, no. No, it'd be a very, very small chance. I just, when I look at things for Tech right now, they just seem to be like hanging on by a thread. Um, You've got a one-armed quarterback, basically, who uh, just when you think, oh, he's got a bye week and he's going to get healthy, now he seems even more injured than it it was before. they needed to shorten the running back rotation to two, and instead they expanded it to four. And now, so it just seems like they're grasping at straws offensively. Their three backup receivers who are in the two deep have combined for one catch all year. You know, the, uh, they don't have James Mitchell, who was their best offensive weapon. Uh, you know, defensively they're they're solid, but but not elite. Um, so you, you like if one more bad thing happens to them, it could really spiral um so i I don't think i see virginia tech coming back from a two-game deficit um i think pitt could um i think pitt has the firepower to do it and i i just when i look at virginia tech do i can i sit there and say do i see them losing fewer than two games from you know from the end of the pit game to the end of the season and i i just i i can't well, I'm looking at the schedule for Pitt. Even if they did lose both those games to Clemson and UNC, if they beat Virginia Tech, the Hokies would have to win out the rest of the way to win the Coastal, which just seems very, very unlikely. Yeah, that yeah. just doesn't seem likely at all. So, yeah, this is uh, the biggest game of the season on Saturday from, from, from the standpoint of competing for the Coastal Division, competing for an ACC title. And I know people were more excited about the UNC game because they were ranked. It's a board arrival, and it's the first game of the season. I know people were more excited about – Notre Dame because it's Notre Dame and they were ranked. But this is the most important game right right here. And I still don't – people just don't get excited about Pitt, no matter the importance of the game. They're not going to be excited about Pitt. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see the crowd because, like, some people have some – some people are frustrated after last week. Uh, some people need to kind of recharge their emotional batteries, I guess, because that was a pretty pretty deflating loss. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right, man. It's the most important game of the season. Well, and even more playing this season because, again, over the last six or seven years, if you're in this situation, you're playing for the Coastal, but most likely to get beat by 30 by Clemson sure. in Charlotte. This year, it seems like Wake Forest went to overtime with Syracuse last week, and NC State isn't and, super and, talented. And Louisville the week before, it was real close. Yes. So, yeah. So Wake, 
Wake is good, but but they're they're still they're good because they have a bunch of seniors and they're well coached. But there's still a talent edge that other teams have over Wake, and if you get them in a, in a one game situation, you can beat them. Yeah, if you remember 2019, Wake was having a good season, and then they they were really thin. And they had a couple key injuries, and that was it. I think they had a quarterback injury, and then they had an injury to their their best the, wide, wide receiver, receiver yeah. and then that was it for them. So it's going to be interesting the rest of the way in both divisions of the ACC. It looks like Clemson's out of it, but if they can figure out the offensive stuff, still a chance for them to come back and catch NC State and Wake Forest. Let's dive into the Panthers, and I want to start where kind of all the eyes go when you look at Pittsburgh. That's the offense and and Kenny Pickett. Pittsburgh this season, including their win where they scored 77 points against New Hampshire, 52.4 points per game. Mm -hmm. That is the best in the country by almost four points for Pittsburgh. They, they've just been pretty much unstoppable on the offensive side. Even if you throw out the New Hampshire game and you only look at games against FBS teams, I think they're still sixth in the country in total offense and fifth in the country in scoring. scoring yeah. I mean, they're just scoring at will against everybody they've played. Uh, they haven't played a great defense. Like, Tennessee's defense is pretty much middle of the pack. Um, and they scored, what they hang, 41 on, on Tennessee? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, right. So, t Tech's defense appears to be – you know, a bit better than Tennessee's. Um, so that's why I'm saying I don't think they're going to score 41 on Virginia Tech, but they don't, they're not going to have to score 41 on Virginia Tech, are they? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm worried about Tech's defense trending down, though, because we, right. we've talked about yeah. the, the decline in sacks and tackles and they're, for and, loss. And they're not going to have Dax for the first uh, for the first half either. Yeah. And that's that's not good. Uh, sounds like Kashawn Artis is going to get the first start of his career. Yeah. They, the they moved spot. Artis to backer. Right. right. But but he's played Mike his whole career So they're moving him back to Mike. And yeah. So he is one of those crossover guys. Yeah. I think you've got Kenny Pickett. He might be the only offense, uh, the only NFL player on this entire offense. But if you just look at the experience level, now here are their starters. Redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt junior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, sophomore, sophomore, senior. And some of those redshirt seniors listed here are super seniors. So they're like sixth-year right. guys. Um, I, what I think I, I figured, totaled up the number of snaps from my game preview that, that their starting offensive players have, and it's something like 14,000, 16,000, something. <laughs> something like that. I mean – you know, you know, I, I think th this is the ideal way to build the the pit program, and we'll talk about the defense later. But so, like, eight of the eleven pit starters have redshirted, and like every single starter on the pit defense <laughs> is redshirted. This is like my dream team, right here, man. <laughs> we need the red lights coming in. <laughs> we really do. Well, looking at the, you mentioned the two sophomores on the pit offense. One of them is their starting running back, Israel. A Bonaconda. I'm gonna make a, a guess at that you're, one. Well, your Nicely guess is done. as good as mine. Uh, and the other one is their starting slot wide receiver Jordan Addison, who has over 500 yards and nine touchdowns. And besides Pickett, he's sophomore. their best player. Yes, yeah. right. Um, so uh, he might be the only other NFL player uh, out of this group. Uh, he's averaging something like 18 or 19 yards per catch. He's got nine touchdowns I'm already. I'm pretty sure the Virginia Tech record for a season is nine touchdown catches. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, we, we can – Katie, can you look that up? You know how to find the record book on Hokiesports.com? Go to Hokie Sports Football and then go over to the more um, selection on the menu and find the record book, and it's pretty easy to see from there. And Just click receiving and, and let us know what the Virginia Tech record for touchdown catches in a season is. 
She's looking at me like, mm. <laughs> not, I think Jordan Addison would at least break it by the end of the season. You would think so. Five but, games in, well, nine receiving touchdowns. Yeah, so he's in pace to have about 20. <sighs> yeah. I mean, and that's before you even <laughs> talk about the possible ACC title game and a bowl game. So that's a lot. And he's a true sophomore. Um, so, like, it's not like an exceptionally talented offense. It's like they're good but not great. But there's just so much experience there. And seniors matter in football. And it seems like Pitt has a senior-laden team every year. You remember from when Virginia Tech rolled up there in 2018, and the Hokies, I think what they have, of their, of their 22 guys in the two deep, they had 17 freshmen and sophomores. And Pitt had, what, have like 20-some seniors on their whole team? And and of those 20 seniors, 19 of them were redshirt seniors. Were redshirt seniors. seniors. Yeah. And, and this is how you – And the one that hadn't redshirt was a really good running back. I don't remember his name. Yeah, and I, this is how you build it if you're Pitt. And, and and this is actually how I envision Virginia Tech's program. I think Virginia Tech has a little bit access, a little bit better access to more talent than Pitt because it's a football school where the fan base really cares about it, and we should be able to dedicate more resources to it and things like that. And you know, Pitt, you know, they play in kind of an empty stadium, and they're second fiddle, they're fourth fiddle in that town to the the Steelers, Penguins, and Pirates. Yeah, right. And maybe even to pit basketball at this point, who knows? But uh, they have a really stout in-state recruiting opponent in, in Penn State. Yeah, you yeah. know historically. Yeah, exactly. You got Ohio State's not too far away. Right. You know, so it's a really the the further up in the Northeast you go, the smaller the talent pool right. gets, and right. there's still a lot of competition. Right, exactly. And so I think for for Pitt's current situation, and I think Narduzzi's done a really good job, and he's he's use the proper strategy to maximize their program. Yeah. Um, I, I think Virginia Tech could do the same thing with a little bit more talent, and that's how I envision Virginia Tech's program long-term. Right. By the way, do you know how long Narduzzi's been there? It's not as long as I thought. Seven or eight years. Yeah, I would say seven. 2015. Oh, really? It felt to me like he'd been there since like 2012 or 2013, but it's 2015. Yeah. Any luck? Were you saying touchdown receptions? In a, yes, in a season. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> we'll check back in. And see we'll we'll we check during the break. <laughs> yeah, just just to make you feel worse. Well, not the, not you, the listening audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the good news for the Hokies is this game's going to be played at Lane Stadium and not at Heinz Field. The last two trips up to Pittsburgh have not gone well for the Hokies' defense. Yeah, ninety nine to thirty nine. Yeah, that's not pretty. Aggregate score. Um, last, last year was really bad, and then 2018, I believe, was when they ran for 450 yards and They or averaged 13 like yards per play. Yeah. Which was like the most in the history of college football over the last 20 or 25 years or something I remember like doing the analysis between FBS teams playing each other, the, the yardage that Pittsburgh averaged per play, and it was uh, – thousands of games right. was, was like in the top three or something like that. It went that. back to like the 90s or something. Like That's that. how astounding that total. Do you remember That's how you, bad Tech got beat that day. Do you remember you told Narduzzi all those stats down in Charlotte the next summer? And he just kind of looked and, at and he was a He was like he had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's how he communicates, right. you know, but yeah. uh, we did bump into each other on the way like to or from the restroom, and I said, Coach, so listen to this stat. And I gave it to him, and he just kind of looked at me, you know, and I'm like, Oh, so he doesn't really communicate this way. <laughs> the numbers may be a bit too much for him. Yeah. Um, but, man, this yeah, the pit offense, it's just 
Pickett could have gotten drafted last year, but he chose to come back, and he seems yeah. as if he's improved his stock quite a bit. And, you know, I don't know what an NFL scout will tell you the differences between Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett. Um, I guess Howell's probably got a stronger arm. Like, Pickett's arm is good, but it's not, like, elite like Sam Howell's. And I think that's probably the only difference, main difference. He's very Aaron Rodgers-like. Uh, he's He's not... Some of the stuff he does isn't necessarily how you, what you would coach a quarterback to do. So the article we read showed a very specific example of Pickett sliding to the side and without setting his feet, yeah. firing about a 20-yard touchdown pass dead on the money. Yeah. And not, not a lot of quarterbacks can do that. No. Uh, yeah, and, you know, he, he, I don't think he has quite the arm strength to do that at the NFL level, but at the college level, that makes him the Aaron Rodgers of college football. Right. And I know anybody, any Tech fan who goes back to 2003 will cringe when they hear that yeah. comment. Um, but, you know, I mean, you've seen Rodgers do that for years and years and years. Yeah. His arm is – his feet and his arm are just insane. Um, and that's what that's what Tech's going to be facing. I mean, I mean, you – Kenny Pickett sometimes it can take it. He can sit back there for six or seven seconds, and that's how you how long you have to defend their receivers. And I don't care how good your secondary is, it's hard to to keep guys covered up that long. Well, and for the North Carolina podcast, when we talked about Sam Howell, it was the name. It was he might be a Heisman contender. He might be a number one overall draft pick. But Kenny Pickett's proven it this year. I wrote down all his stats and where he sits in the country. Sixth in the country in completion percentage second in the country in passing efficiency, and he's first among quarterbacks with over 100 passes, fifth in passing yards per game, and fourth in passing touchdowns with 19, 15 of which have come in the last three games, Right, which it, it's unbelievable. 15 that, touchdowns I believe in three I read games. that that ties a record that Dan Marino said he had 15 touchdown passes in three games. I think we did talk about that, yeah. and it's, it's even crazier to think that six of those came in a loss to Western Michigan. He threw six touchdown passes in a loss. That was also his only interception of the year. It was. was in that game. Yes. Yeah, he, so yeah, there you go. He's uh, 19 touchdowns to one interception on the season. Yeah. That's a pretty good ratio. A little bit. A little bit. So Tech's defense, it's going to be tough for them, but the good news is the defense has been good. You've got Jermaine Waller out there. The pass rush, I think, is going to be the big issue, and it's a very experienced offensive line for Pittsburgh. Yeah, the strategy is going to be interesting because I just – Tech did not get much penetration last week, and I don't think they can get penetration in a lot of it, at least unless they blitz. But if you blitz, man, he's really good at making guys miss and then finding guys downfield, and the heat, you worry that that strategy will burn you. Absolutely burn you. I think the main, the big thing for Tech this week is stopping the run. Pitt does not have a very good running game at all. Um, you, if you stop and, that, and it's weird because they used to be really good at that. They've kind of gone back and forth uh, at times. I remember in 2018, that was their their bread and butter on offense was the running game, right. and then that just stopped right, right after that. Right, and I think it was good in 2016 too. Yeah. Um, I think you got to stop the running game and and put them in long yardage situations. Uh. I mean, if you put Kenny Pickett in second and four where he can work play action, I mean, you're going to give up 40 points. Man. That's just the way it is. Um, yeah. So you, you've got to keep them unbalanced. That that That's your main hope of, of winning this game. So that was probably the most disappointing thing about Virginia Tech's defensive performance against Notre Dame is that was a Notre Dame offense that was averaging 2.4 yards per carry for the year. And they found a way to run the football against Virginia Tech, even even without the quarterback. I mean, Williams, their their running back, hadn't done much this season. Kyron Williams had a good game. He had a good game. Yeah. So, Tech's defense has to do better uh, against the run, and they're going to have to do it without 
their starting middle linebacker for the first first half of the game. Yeah. So, you know, Kenny Pickett's this is his fifth year playing for them. If you remember 2017, uh, what was the score of that 2017 game? Was that uh, oh, that was that the one we stopped him on the goal line, right? And and uh, I remember that being a really competitive game. And I think their starting quarterback got hurt, and Pickett came, came in. in. He was a uh, he was a freshman, and I remember watching. Sometimes you watch guys like when when Virginia Tech went to uh, WVU in 2005. They they got WVU down early and beat him pretty handily, mm. but. WVU got rid of their starting quarterback, Adam, his name I cannot remember. Adam Bednarik. Bednarik. It's like Chuck Bednarik. You, you think I would remember the name Bednarik? <laughs> yeah. You young people are like, who's that? You know, <laughs> somebody I read about a lot when I was a kid. Uh, and they brought in uh, Slayton, Slayton at running back, and Pat White at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, there was no way they were going to come back and win. But I remember watching, thinking those guys look pretty good. Yeah. And I remember thinking the same thing about Kenny Pickett. Now it took him a lot longer time in the oven to fully bake. As far so, as the passing game yeah. goes. So so the, the difference between last year and this year is pretty remarkable. Last year it was something like 62% of his passes, yeah. and this year it's 10% more. He's com- yep. completing 72% of his passes. Now let's see that in a month or two from now, but it's still significantly higher. And as you mentioned, 19 touchdowns and just one interception. That article in The Athletic, uh, God, what was his name? Dane Brugler? Brugler. Yeah, think, yeah. Um, he basically went – over film with Mark Whipple, the Pitt offensive coordinator and, and quarterbacks coach, and got him to comment on certain plays and Pickett's development and things like that. And Whipple's been there, I think this is his third year as their offensive yes. coordinator, and he said, look, a lot of times it takes two or three years to get a quarterback where you, at his peak level as far as understanding of defenses and quickly to know where he can go with the football and everything said, like that. he said three years in their third year they'll start to, you know, things will start to click retention and development yeah if you're cycling quarterbacks through the program it gets, it gets difficult to do this and, and the other thing i thought was interesting about that article was how specific some of whipple's comments were like uh they were doing this over phone probably a zoom thing and and uh brugler would show whipple a play and ask him about it and mm-hmm. whipple would say things like i felt bad about that because I knew they were going to do that, and I told Kenny that, but we didn't rep it enough in practice right. that they were going to do that. And then they show a good play by Pickett, and he would say, yeah, we prepped him for that. So we said, this team is going to do this, this, and this, and you're going to do this, this, and this. Very, you know, I, I'm really impressed with uh, with Whipple, at least how he presented himself in that interview. Yeah, he just, and you know, he was the head coach at UMass, and if you go back far enough for Tech, you'll remember Tech recruiting this quarterback from Pennsylvania named Andrew Ford, maybe around... 2014 or thereabouts and Ford was like like a great high school quarterback like he didn't have a great arm but he was a very cerebral guy I want to say he was a left-handed quarterback too That's sort of a, a guy who you just really enjoyed watching on film because he just really knew what he's doing and you know he didn't stick at tech and after a year or so he transferred to UMass and he went on under Whipple and had a really good career yeah. At UMass and uh, UMass football has not been the same since, to be honest with you. But one of the uh, worst teams in the country, yep. right? Now. And uh, but Whipple, to me, you know, he's worked in the NFL. He's coached Ben Roethlisberger, Donovan McNabb. Um, he just seems like a really, really good coach who just understands how to develop quarterbacks and and just bring them along over the course of time. Well, you mentioned development and retention. It looks like Pitt has kind of just waited it out. They've had Kenny Pickett for a while, and there hasn't really been an opportunity to go win the ACC. And now it seems like they're peaking at the right time 
with the ACC wide open, they could go be ACC champions. This is the right year to peak in the ACC if you're somebody besides Clemson because you have a legit chance at it. And, you know, that'll be the thing at the end of the year. Like, if Virginia Tech doesn't win this game on Saturday and you get to the end of the season and Virginia Tech is not Coastal Division champs, that's where you're really going to be kicking yourself. It's going to be like this is the one year out of every (laughs) – one out of every eight or nine years where somebody else besides Clemson has a chance to win the league. And we weren't good enough that year to do it. Yeah. I mean, it goes all the way back to 2011 when, when Clemson beat Tech in the 2011 ACC championship game. And then I think Florida State took over for a few years. A couple of years. And then Clemson's James been, Winston. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Clemson's been unbeatable since then. Yeah, I mean, Tech made it back to the ACC championship back in 2016, came close. That – that might be the closest anybody's come to beating that, Clemson. That's the, it's got to be the most respectable. North Carolina got pretty close one year. Um, Did they? I, th- I think if you look it up, you'll see that North Carolina got pretty close. Oh, that was 2015 when they went 11-1, and one, right? Yeah, and they had an onside kick at the end of the game You're right. that if they'd covered it, they would have had a chance to beat Clemson. Yep. I know the last couple of years have not been all that close with Clemson, no. with Virginia and Pitt, and then last year. They beat Pitt 42-10. to 10. I actually looked that up just the yes. other day. Yeah, in 2017? Yeah, I think it was 2017. And then last year, last year was Notre Dame, so a little bit different with Notre Dame being part of the ACC last year. But a good chance for Pitt to win an ACC championship this year, and maybe for Virginia Tech if they can beat the Panthers on Saturday. Before we move, uh, we're going to take a break and then go to the defense. But before we move away from the offense, I want to look at the running game. A trio of running backs in the backfield for this Pitt team, all three of them right around 200 yards. It's kind of weird how evenly the yards are split between these three guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and unlike the like the Virginia Tech rotation, there's like nobody clearly better than the other guys yeah. in the pit rotation, right? Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting the way over the last few years they've developed into a team from a team that, you know, Pickett was their quarterback and he was fairly effective passing, but you know they'd run it for two or three hundred yards a game, and and you know Pickett was protected, and now it's the other way around. It's like they. They throw the ball all over the, all over the place because that's their strength, and they kind of struggle up front to uh, to block. And those three backs, Abanaconda is how I've been saying it. Where mm-hmm. we did not get a check on the pronunciation there. Vincent Davis and Rodney Hammond. Hammond, a young guy, but he's been explosive when he's gotten the ball in his hands. I got I just got a text from uh, a coach I know in the seven five seven, and he says. Uh, you know that Rodney Hammond is from Bruce Smith's high school in Norfolk. Booker uh, T. Yeah, Washington. and I, I knew that because I looked it up on uh, right. when, when I was doing the they, – uh, they have five Virginians on their roster, and right. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting he should be playing for Tech. That would <laughs> just be a fifth know. guy thrown into the running back rotation. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, we are going to talk about the Hokies offense and their matchup with the Pitt defense, but – Moving away from Pittsburgh offense, the key is they are very, very good. So let's close a loop. Uh, most touchdown reception in a season for Virginia <laughs> Tech is 11 by Isaiah Ford in 2015. 2015. Uh, previous to that, I think the record was held by Antonio Freeman for forever from like 1993 on. And Freeman used to also hold the record, I think, for career touchdown receptions with 22. But that's now now held by Ford with 24. And Freeman – Played in an era where there were only 11 regular season games and bowl games didn't count towards stats. And there were no conference championship games. But but Tech did, Tech slung the ball around in 1993. They had a really dynamic offense in 93. It was basically a run and shoot offense, if you can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So 11 touchdowns for Isaiah Ford. That's the record. Hokies are hoping Jordan Addison doesn't pass does that on pass Saturday. That. He is at <laughs> nine through five games. Uh, before we head to our break, going to toss it over to Katie in our fourth chair and see what she's got for us today. No trivia today, but I have a lot of really cool tidbits. Always lots to talk about how old Terrell Smith is. ACC Network did that package about him this past weekend. But Pitt actually has two Terrell Smiths on their team. They have two seventh-year seniors, which I thought was wild. One of them's a wide receiver in Trey Tipton. The other one's a linebacker in Josh Patrician. Only one of them has been there for the whole full seven years. Um, Patrician was a transfer from Penn State. But, I mean, Terrell Smith just gets so much talk about him at Virginia Tech. That would be wild if we had two of those guys so on our Tipton team. So Tipton is still there. I didn't know. And neither that. one of them's a starter. Yeah. 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 So Tipton for, just used like to play Tyler a lot Smith. for them, right? I think so. I, mean, I, I recognize the name. Well, you know, they play six linebackers over 100 snaps this year. Right. So they they have a lot, and none of those linebackers is like younger than a junior. I'm, so it's I'm amazing wondering. their ability to like retain guys and get them all enough playing time to I, make them happy. I want to know what Narduzzi's secret sauce is. <laughs> I'm really know? starting to like the guy <laughs> because we, well we're sitting here having this conversation, and I'm thinking I'm going to go get on the computer after this and look at the the transfer portal database that's on two four seven Sports and and see you know how active is their transfer portal out because it doesn't sound like it's very active. So in addition to those two seventh-year guys, Pitt is a veteran team in a lot of ways. They have 13 super seniors, which I thought was wild. Oh, wow. 13 guys um, using that COVID year. I want to say we only have five or six. Don't know. Not sure off the top of my head, but that's probably right. That yeah. sounds right. It's Shanga Hodge, Austin Rosa, who those two guys are from the state of Pennsylvania. Right. Well, and then and you have Shanga's people, not even playing, and right. Rosa's a walk-on. So. Which yeah. I, I don't know what happened to him because he was supposed to be a good to go for Notre Dame. Didn't dress out again, so maybe we'll see him in this game. I guess that'd be a good game for him to start being a Pennsylvania native. You obviously have Peoples and Gallo as well, who both had Pitt offers coming out of high school, chose to come to Virginia Tech. Um, so I guess Pitt doesn't start a lot of freshmen. We're not going to see a guy like Naquan Brown, who Hokies know good and well. By the way, Naquan Brown's listed at 6'3", 205. Okay. I'm actually a little bit surprised Pitt signed him. I mean, he's just so skinny for a defensive yeah. lineman. yeah. yeah. I don't know what they did with him, if he's redshirted or, or what. Yeah, I don't well, think he's I, taking a snap all year. I, he is not, so he should be redshirting this year. You, you he, can't is, put, he has a nice profile on their site where they talk up what a big recruit he was. But I don't <laughs> yeah, think yeah. He's not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> anyway. And then I don't know if y'all saw that quote from Narduzzi today about the crowd noise in Lane Stadium. He said, and I quote, you see some teams on TV where they struggle with the noise, the crowd jump off sides on offense, all that stuff. We didn't do that down in ten Tennessee. Don't expect to do it in Blacksburg this week this weekend, which is ironic because Lane Stadium is historically historically loud on third down, and Pitt has only converted converted eighteen percent of its third down tries in their last two trips to Blacksburg. So they're five for twenty seven on third down. Oh, okay. So that's something so, to watch. Again, you have to stop their running game and put them in long yardage situations. Now, they're going to be better equipped to deal with that this year because Pickett's a lot more advanced this year than he was his last yeah. two trips to Lane Stadium. So 5 for 27 the last wow. two times. 5 yeah. for 27. So he's talking big game for... Well, he's got a senior-laden team, that, yeah. and and then he turns on the film and watches Virginia Tech not be able to score very much, and I... I'd feel very confident if I was him, too. Yeah. Well, and a lot of their offensive linemen have experienced Blacksburg before. Obviously, Kenny Pickett's experienced it before. So, at the very least, they know what they're going, they're getting into. Yeah, we talk about Kenny Pickett. I mean, his stats, just his last two starts in Lane Stadium are kind of brutal. No touchdowns, one interception, six sacks, only com 
completing 51%. So this is a brand new Kenny Pickett, I would say. That, the emergence uh, of him in Blacksburg this weekend is going to be a completely different story. The 2019 game couldn't have gone better for Virginia Tech. I mean, if you recall, Tech was able to jump out to a quick 14 to nothing lead. Uh, Tech scored a touchdown. We got, got a de- they got they a defense touchdown. Right. right. So yeah. like five minutes into the game, I think it's fourteen nothing. Yes. And at that point, you have to abandon the running game if you're Pitt. And, well, and it was dumping down rain. And it was pouring buckets yeah. and freezing cold. Um, so yeah, I think that that was a difficult one for for. I guess that was Tech's last shutout, twenty eight to nothing. I think so. Yep. Was that Bud's final game, final home game? It was his final home game. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good day, except for the rain. <laughs> that was cold, man. <laughs> Freezing. That's all for me. All right. All right, all right. Uh, before we get away from the offense, I wanted to mention something on Tech Talk, uh, yeah, Tech Talk Live that Justin Fuente mentioned. He was talking about Dax Hollyfield and how they've changed the targeting rules, so now you can be on the sideline with the team. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. during the first half. And he's saying Dax Hollyfield, he'll be warm by the time he goes in for the second half. He's going to be pacing up and down the <laughs> sidelines. Yeah, he's not a guy who sits still very no. much from what I can tell. <laughs> uh, and I I am so glad they got rid of that because I thought that's that was ridiculous. Yeah, thing. you don't want to shame the guy. It's bad enough that you're, you know, kicking him off for playing football. Right. Well, that's what Justin Fuente called it. He said they used to have to take the walk of shame and get escorted out what, into the what, locker room. What, what if you like got ejected like in the first half at Lane Stadium and you got ejected off the field, you go back to the locker room, you change. What do you do? You just go to Tots and watch the second <laughs> half of the game? <laughs> and, and it's, yeah. Uh, and I just, man, I, I love Dex. I, I just don't know what he's going to do after his football career is over. That, that guy's a football player through and through. He loves it. He loves the competition. He just game, he lives for game day. I wonder what his yeah. major is. I don't know. I have to look it up. I feel like Dax could end up being like a strength and conditioning coach. That oh, feels I like his. See that. Oh, yes. That you can definitely. That's the type of energy you need <laughs> in the strength and conditioning program. So I could see him like being one of those guys who takes an intern year or two in the Virginia Tech strength and conditioning program while right. he gets his own license. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a guy that would fire up the team by like headbutting plates in the gym. <laughs> well, I mean, his every, nose bleed. every other picture of him you see is like his nose cut is wide open. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we're going to take a break here on episode 199 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we get back, we're going to talk about the Hokies' offense, their struggles, and how they can exploit some of the issues on the pit defense if they want to pull out the win on Saturday in Lane Stadium. You're listening to episode 199 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 199 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. I'm your host, Jake Lyman. Will Stewart across the way, Chris Coleman to my left. Katie Adams is in our fourth chair today, and Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. We're going through the huge showdown on Saturday between Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh. Winner takes control of the ACC Coastal as at a 2-0 record and would also get the tiebreaker against the other so a huge game coming up. We've gone through Pitt's explosive offense. Kenny Pickett has been one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the country through the first five games. But the defense, not quite as impressive for Pittsburgh. Gave up 45 points to Western Michigan mm-hmm. uh, in a loss to the Broncos. 
They've struggled against the pass, been pretty good against the run, but the Hokies' offense has struggled. Now Braxton Burmeister banged up even more. Going to be a tough test. Yeah, the, the efficiency numbers are kinder to Pitt than the overall numbers. I, I think they're 21st in rush defense, 108th in pass defense, so like 57th in, in total defense. Just now, in which, traditional which stats? Sets. Efficiency? Traditional stats. Traditional stats. Okay. Efficiency, their defense ranks – you know, generally in the top forty, and even like in the top thirty, I think in some of the some of the metrics. You know, when they gave up, you know, forty four or forty five or whatever to Western Michigan, that was the game where they had three turnovers. They were minus three in the turnover margin, and Western Michigan took took advantage. Uh, they had two fumbles. Kenny Pickett there was only interception of the year. I, I think. I think when they score a lot of points, they're capable of scoring quickly, which means there's more plays probably yeah. in a pit game, which hurts them in the total defense metrics. Uh, it's really their style of play. Uh, you know, they're going to put that extra man in the box and sell out to stop the running game, and that is going to leave receivers in press coverage against cornerbacks. And it will be up to Virginia Tech's receivers to get a clean release off the line of scrimmage and run into space. And it'll be up to Braxton Burmeister to hit them in stride. And it'll be up to those receivers to win 50-50 balls in the air. And based on what we've seen this year. I think only one of those things has been happening, which is getting 50-50 balls. Well, I don't even think that's been happening. Well, Trey's gotten some, I think. Um, Caleb Smith, um, he had some chances. Yeah, Ta- well, Tavion <laughs> had the touchdown against West Virginia. That yeah. was kind of 50-50. It was one. It's happened more often than the other two. Well, how many opportunities? Yeah, have that's they, fair. Yeah. <laughs> how many? Um, that's what. I, how many opportunities have they had to go get fifty-fifty balls? Not many, because you know we've had that whole discussion about how Braxton doesn't tend to throw that kind of pass. Right. And so, at any rate, this seems like the exact opposite type of defense that Virginia Tech needs to be facing. Yes. Well, and that was the talk last week was that Notre Dame is a good matchup for Virginia Tech, and that kind yeah. of showed the Hokies almost were were able to pull that game off. This is not a good matchup for Virginia Tech in almost any of the phases of the game. Well, we said it in the bye week on this podcast. I said, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech to beat Notre Dame, and I'm going to pick them to lose to Pitt. And it's not going to be because I think they'll be playing down to their level of competition or anything like that. It's just because I think Pitt is a little better than Notre Dame, and there's certainly a worse matchup for Virginia Tech than than Notre Dame. Uh, That's why I'm really disappointed to lose that game last week. Because I do think, and I still feel that was a good matchup for, for Virginia Tech. And I, I would I would play it all over again and feel pretty good about it. Um, I, thought it I thought it was going to be a close game either way, but I thought it was one that Tech should have won. Um, and now you're staring down the barrel of, go, of being 3-3 three and three a year after you went 5-6 and six and lost the ball streak, right? right. Yep. So and it's just not... It's not the mental state that we wanted the fan base to be in at midseason. Um, I, you know, first of all, it's Pitt, right? Nobody ever gets excited about Pitt. And not only is it Pitt, but you're embarking on what I would call the Big East portion of your schedule, <laughs> right? So you've got Pitt this week, you've got Syracuse next week, and then two games after that, I think it's Georgia uh, Tech and then BC. And then BC. So BC. Three, three out of the next four games against old Big East opponents. And, and then Miami. And Miami's that. an old Big East opponent. And then there's your out of conference game against UVA, which we also played back then. So like basically, the, <laughs> almost the entire second half of the schedule that's, is like an old Big East outside schedule. of Duke, like, Duke sneaking, and Georgia Duke Tech. Is sneaking, yeah, Georgia yeah, Tech yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah, so so here we are, like close to 500. Like 
if 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 this game plays out how it looks on paper, then you'll be sitting here at three and three. Very little chance to win the coastal division and a one-armed quarterback. And that's not people are not going to be happy. So those last six games are going to become like really, really critical. But you know, they're all matchup dependent. All the last all the last seven games are all matchup dependent. And this one's not a good matchup for Virginia Tech, but there are others that will be. Well, and the good news for fan support on Saturday, it is not a noon kick. It's 3.30. We should get at least a little more people out there. I'm a little worried about Syracuse and Duke. Syracuse already announced as a 12.30 kick, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. And then Duke in November, it's going to be cold and probably another noon kick for that one. We assume it's going to be cold. I've gone to a Tech game, the Tech-Clemson game in 2011 on October 1st, where it was like 32 degrees and sleeting slash snow. And I've worn shorts at a December 1st game. <laughs> Miami. Miami 2001. 2001. So you just never quite know. Well, we've talked about Braxton Burmeister being banged up. He had to leave the game against Notre Dame. Did come back, but looking back at the TV broadcast, he was clearly in a lot of pain. Yeah. And Pitt, they've struggled on defense, but mostly against the pass. And you mentioned it's deep shots, stuff like that. And if Burmeister doesn't have the ability to accurately throw the ball downfield, it's going to be tough for the Hokies talk, to move the ball. He talked this morning to the media about the treatment he's getting for his shoulder. Um, he's getting like that elect- electronic treatment mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. I got the electronic treatment on my shoulder when I heard it playing football. Really? Oh yeah, and it's uh I don't know how they do it these days, but uh they can turn it up to different levels depending on how much pain or what how much how how much you enjoy how much you can stand being electrocuted, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interest interesting type of treatment. Um but he's he's getting a lot more obviously done than that. But he said he's twice a day treatment the electric therapy, I don't know what else, but they're, they're doing everything they can to get him right. But, I mean, if you got to do all that to your throwing shoulder in the middle of the season as a quarterback, and you the, the bye week is already in the rearview mirror yeah. where you're supposed to have an opportunity to get healthy. Um, I, hope, I, I, I don't want to be that guy. But, I don't either. But, but that's all great, and that might help, and then you take your first hit. Right. You know, and, and you're and you, right you, need, you, need, you need time to get so over some of these injuries. like. Yeah. I remember spraining my ankle in mid-August, like, and I was not without pain until December. Well, Michael, like Vick a month in, after the season ended. Michael Vick in 1999 was, uh, you know, he hurt his ankle against JMU, and he was never right the rest of the season until the national title game. Exactly, and then he was super right. Right, you know, and the the image I always go back to is when he had that long touchdown run against uh, Temple that year. You could tell he wasn't 100, percent and that was late in the year. Yeah, you could tell he was gimpy, and he still outran Temple's defense. Yeah, you know? yeah. and then, so it's like you see that on film all year if you're Florida State, and then you show up for the national title game, and you're like, "Who is this?" And the, the guy's turned up to 11. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he's been a good quarterback all year, but suddenly he's just this freak that you can't stop. Right. So, I I would not. Ex- I don't think Braxton Burmeister will be anywhere approaching 100 percent this season until. Let's hope the bowl game. <laughs> First of all, let's hope he's 100%. Second of all, let's hope there is a bowl game, yeah. right? Well, and if, if this happened last year, let's say, or two years ago, when you have Hannon Hooker, who's having a great season in Tennessee, Quincy Patterson, or even Ryan Willis, do you think Braxton Burmeister is starting this game? I don't think so. I think they're playing Hooker. You would think so. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's, yeah most definitely. You, if they you, had you any play. competent backup that you feel like you could throw the ball downfield with. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you could even get away with starting Quincy and you just 
run the heck out of the football and you try to shorten the Throw game as much as possible yeah. and keep Kenny Pickett off the field. Um, it's a little different this year. So, like, your backup against Notre Dame was Texas A&M's former fourth-string H-back. And your other backup, uh, his only other offer was JMU. And clearly, Fuente had no confidence putting him in. No, um, which makes you wonder why he ever decided to put him in in the first place against Richmond. Again, they just—they seem to <laughs> see everybody's keeping a list. You know, we, we find a way to come back list. to that play on every podcast. <laughs> Call that just, time out for that Liberty it's, it's, field it just, goal. <laughs> it just seems like, yeah, you know, I've defended defended them a lot of the things they've done over the years because if you actually look at the statistical evidence. It actually supports a lot of the things they do that the fans don't like, such as running draws on third and long, the jet sweep, all those things that emotionally people don't like. But when you actually dig down and look at the numbers, it's the right decisions, right? right? I cannot find one shred of evidence, and I'll talk about this in my Inside the Numbers article tomorrow. I cannot find one shred of statistical evidence that Jumping the running back rotation from three to four was a good decision, or, or you know, bringing Knox Kadem in, oh, in the, it, at all is, is a good decision. And going for it, so it, it just two from the eight, right? <laughs> exactly, Jay. It it just seems like it seems like they're bumping their head against the wall, and they can't find a solution because they expected to be good this year. Yeah. When Fuente says this is the best I've ever felt about the passing game, it means he expected to be good. So it seems like they, they, they're bumping their head against the wall. They can't find a solution, and now they're just kind of grasping at straws is what, it, is what it feels like to me. Well, and Braxton Burmeister, when he did talk to the media today, he had a, a funny comment. There was kind of pictures going around of him getting slipped some sort of medication from trainers and coaches, and there were, there were jokes being made, but he laughed it off, and he said it was ibuprofen. It was yeah. nothing sketchy. Which but. is exactly what everybody <laughs> on Twitter said. So it's some, you know. One of these, some uh, people like to try to make things. One of these like shock them. jock yes. equivalents on Twitter got some video of, of Braxton getting handed a pill, you know. And I, th- I thought one of the uh, one of the answers to the tweet was interesting. It was something like, "Yeah, and since tech's too cheap to spend two thousand dollars for a sideline tent, now that's out there in front of everybody." And I'm like, "Well, what's out there in front of everybody? It's I'd be it's a football <laughs> football player taking pain medication. This is not the first time this has ever happened." Uh. <laughs> Well, let's look at this pit defense. The strength, I think, comes in the interior of that defensive line. I there are obviously a lot of great schools that put out a lot of defensive tackles, but Pitt is up there. Yeah, so so one of their guys, one of their young guys, the mm-hmm. defensive tackle is a sophomore, right? Redshirt sophomore is actually a really really good player. So uh, that's Ka- what you got. Kalijah to... Kinsey. Yeah, and he's yeah. he's sort of in the uh, oh god, who was our old defensive tackle? Who's in the NFL? Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Aaron, he's a, from a size standpoint, he's like Aaron Donald. It's like you normally don't see a six foot, two hundred seventy five. All-American defensive tackle. Well, and they, they said the same thing about their last one, Jalen Twyman, who was right. kind of like a spitting image of Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so they got to go on. They they figured out something on the defensive line up there. I think they, they've yeah, got. They've got these guys I, I have not researched who their defensive line coaches or if it's been the same guy this whole time, but they clearly know what they're doing as far as yeah. that goes. Here's what I like about their defense: redshirt junior. Redshirt sophomore, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt junior, redshirt senior, redshirt junior, redshirt sophomore, redshirt junior, redshirt senior. They have redshirt seniors like former starter Chase Pine backing up redshirt seniors at linebacker, man. Uh, I mean, they they redshirted everybody and they retained them. And that's what you have to do. Like, when you're not going to be like the most talented team, 
you have to do things like that to make sure these guys develop to the best of their ability so you can maximize your talent level. And and, and then hope you find a great quarterback along the way because that's typically what makes a difference. That, a that's what team. puts it over the top, and that's exactly what they've done. So uh, I, I just I really like the way – I like their program strategy at, at Pitt. I, I think they, they employ the proper methods to get the most out of, out of what they can do. I could have guessed that you liked their strategy, considering oh how God. many times you said red. Shirt I was, I was, I was going, I was going <laughs> through that roster this week, looking at the depth chart. I'm like, I admire. He I, I did. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm seriously. The the more I read about Pat Narduzzi, the the smarter I think he is. Wow. And he doesn't seem like one of those coaches who's like really like. And I don't mean this as an insult, but like. He always looks so out of control sometimes on the sideline with all the screaming and yelling. So he doesn't come across as one of those like cerebral coaches. Who, exactly. Yeah. You know, but uh, he's not carrying around a play sheet. You right. know, discussing what's going on with his coordinator. He just looks like a former defensive coordinator who's a head coach. Yeah. He's just he he looks like probably what Bud Foster would have looked like as a head coach, right? Yeah. Um, or or what uh, Brent Venables would look like as yeah, a head coach. Ex- ex- exactly. Uh, but. Uh, clearly he thinks things through very deeply behind the scenes. And I just think his strategies for the building of the program, or maybe he just keeps it simple, you know, and and it, maybe the game's not complicated to him. Right. Um, And and again, I want to know what the secret sauce is. How does he keep so many people there when, when he's got a bunch of older guys playing? Right. And you know, it's a, it's, it's not like Pitt has a dominant program where they're winning 10 games every year. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're keeping their heads above water. They're solid. But I think they're getting the most out of what they can at Pitt. Yeah, um, and certainly there have been coaches that haven't. They had some lousy, oh, lousy ones. So, so they, they were really good back in the late 70s and early 80s with Marino and uh, I guess Johnny Majors was their coach back then. And, mm-hmm. and he was doing that thing of putting 120 guys on scholarship. You know, So, yeah, they were good. And but they've had a lot of bad coaches since then. Yeah, yeah, they have. Uh, so so let me jump in here to your point, um, where we're building them up as as if they're this awesome program. But if you look from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty, four years, they went twenty six and twenty four. Mm-hmm. The team that won the coastal, I was wrong, it was twenty eighteen, not twenty seventeen. The team that won the coastal finished seven and seven that year. It's you know, Carolina won the coastal and they were eleven and one right. during during the regular season. Um, you know, so uh, they have not won 10 games since 2009, you know, and back in kind of the middle of that Big East stretch after a bunch of teams had left. So, yeah, we're talking them up like they're this big dominant program, and they're really not. And the one thing that I think should give you hope this Saturday is that Pitt is maddeningly inconsistent. All the way back to the early 2000s, they were crazy inconsistent. Mm-hmm. They'd go over there and get their butts handed to them by a bad South Florida team and then smoke Virginia Tech and then go well, back to losing. Well, remember in 2001 when Tech went to Heinz Field for the first time and lost 38-7? to Yeah. And Tech had lost one game all year, and Pitt was what, like 2-6 and six or something like they that? They were a bad and, football and team. And they just beat Tech by 31 points. I think points. they were 2-5. No and five. That's, yeah. that, that's kind of just how, how Pitt's been through the years. Yeah. Um, but so, so that would be my gripe if I was one of their fans. Yeah. You've got an NFL quarterback. You've got a senior-laden team. How did you lose at home to Western, Western Michigan? Michigan? That would drive me a little crazy. Yeah, and the answer is turnovers. Yeah. Yep. Well, and this team, they beat Tennessee on the road. And Knox, in Knoxville, they're pretty excited about the team that they've got now. They just yeah. blew out Shane Beamer's South Carolina team this week. I think weekend. they were still – Tennessee was still finding themselves at that point. The, well, you know, Hooker didn't start that game. He came yeah. into the game. It was game. Joe Milton yeah, that yeah, game. Yeah, you're right. Um, 
And to be fair, I think a lot of people are going to blow out South Carolina this year. It's kind of an ugly situation down there. But, but yes, uh, Tennessee has improved since the beginning of the season, so that could turn out to be a big win for Pitt, especially on the, on the road. Well, Pitt's defense, I looked through your preview, 15 players on their two deep on defense have been in college. Not sure if they've been with Pitt, but at least playing college football for at least four years. So that's – I mean, what does Mike Young say? Get old and stay old. Yep. That's, so that appears to be their philosophy at Pitt too. And again, it's they're very, to me they're very similar to Wake Forest, and that I think they have head coaches that understand who that school is in the grand scheme of things, and how and have, they have a specific vision for how you win at that school. Yeah. And look at that. I mean, you see Pitt. Honestly, in my opinion, probably going to win the Coastal this year, and Wake Forest probably going to win the Atlantic is is what it looks like, or mm-hmm. certainly has a good chance to win the Atlantic. Um, and I think when you have a senior-laden team with the right quarterback, you know you can be solid in your other years. But that senior that that year where you have a bunch of seniors and the right and your quarterback's a senior, you're going to take it to to another level. And and I, that's something I think Virginia Tech could replicate, except with a little more talent. It'll it'll be interesting to see what Pitt does this year because yeah, they look really good. But are they going to be just another pit team that goes eight and four or seven and five at best for whatever reason, mm. despite how good their quarterback is now old they are? Right. Uh, I, I'll actually watch their game against UNC because I think it's going to be very entertaining. Yeah. It'll be all, it should be a lot of points. Yeah. Pittsburgh currently sitting at four and one and one and zero in the ACC this season. And based on what we've talked about, it doesn't look great for the Hokies, at least on paper. Looking at this matchup and how well Pitts played. Hokies banged up on the offensive side of the ball. But we're going to do keys to the game. If the Hokies are able to come out of Lane Stadium with a win on top of the ACC Coastal, how do they do it? Their defense played the most hellacious game of the season. That's how they <laughs> would do it and have a lot of turnovers and probably make a big play on special teams somewhere somewhere along the line. I just You just look at the Tech offense and they've scored 17 points. They scored 35 points against Middle Tennessee. And then, what, 22? three against West Virginia, 21 against Richmond, but seven of those were a special teams touchdown. And then 29 against Notre Dame, but you know six of those were defensive, defensive touchdowns. So this team, they, they can't, with the exception of Middle Tennessee State, and Pitt ain't no Middle Tennessee, then they haven't been able to break like that 24-point barrier. Right. And you're, it just seems to me like you're going to have to score more than that to beat Pitt. So the likelihood of winning this game just doesn't seem very strong to me. Yeah, so the so the offensive thing is one issue. And uh, defensively, get more pressure on the quarterback than you have been, even though he's really good against it. And for, first of all, you got to stop the running game and put him in longer situations. Um, continue to do a good job on third down, which they actually did against Notre Dame. They just didn't force enough third downs. Mm-hmm. We talked about that uh, on Monday. And just get just get the game of their lives from the defensive backs who, as you've noticed, who have you, you have noted, they won't just have to guard or cover for two or three or four seconds. It might be five or yeah. six, and that's when it gets really difficult. Well, and Pittsburgh has not scored less than 40 points this year. So I, I think you're right there that the defense has to play great, maybe hold them to that 25 to 30 range, and then you got to get points on special got, teams or defense. you got to find a way to do something like that. And, yeah. and, and Pitt has only scored 40 points in their last four trips to Lane Stadium. I imagine they feel total. about Lane Stadium the way Tech fans feel about Lane Stadium <laughs> and the Carrier Dome. Well, and that's yeah. something you have to feel good about is usually in this series, at least over the last half decade, the home team has won 
and pretty convincingly every time, with the exception of maybe 2017 with the goal line stand. Yeah, Tech uh, Tech won uh, has won three out of the last four. The loss was the 2015 game where. They picked up a hundred yards on Tech did on the one of truly end. one of the ugliest football games in Virginia Tech history. That was that game was uglier than the zero to zero Wake Forest game. <laughs> that that, that twenty fifteen. Wow, I don't know, man. That's a no. We had almost Tech all had almost three hundred yards of offense. They moved the football a little bit against Wake Forest. The it was, the pit game was just pouring rain and a hundred yards of offense and a sack fest. It was yeah. ugly. Yeah. That that. Maybe I'll torture myself by watching that someday. If you want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into game picks here. I will give David Cunningham's before I give it to you. David has Pitt winning 41-20, to 20, so not a lot Dang, of confidence from DC. David Cunningham. No, uh, DC's, no, no sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> he has no sympathy. He, uh, he did write in his, uh, his take here. He has a lot to live up to. He said his – his prediction against Notre Dame was 85% accurate uh, because he said it would come down to a Notre Dame field goal, the, and it did. The 15% that was inaccurate was – What did he say? Oh, he said it would be – he said, hey, he had a very low scoring. Even it was low 16 scoring to 14 right. was, yeah. was the pick yeah. he made. But yeah. also inaccurate, he was worried about John Parker Romo. Oh, that was right. part of the reason he made the pick was he didn't think John Parker Romo could make a, a kick, and he went three for three with a 52-yard kick. <sighs> and why of our kickers against Notre Dame start making all these 50-plus yarders, and then we still barely lose the game? Yeah, it's, it's the old free throw thing, man. It's Brian Johnson Speaking goes – Speaking of which, Brian Johnson got picked up by – He is on the Saints now. Saints. Yeah. yeah. So two starting kickers out of 32 in the NFL, Virginia Tech graduates in the last nice. five it's years. It's really hard to get an NFL – kicking job because if you're really good you're going to keep that job for 20 years so there's just never a lot of turnover yeah joe joey sly has now kicked for three teams this year i believe now he's with the 49ers <laughs> um with what a stop a life, in houston Did, didn't shane graham play for something like 17 different teams <laughs> i don't know if there was 17 <laughs> i'm not exaggerating it, it might have been 14 I'm, I'm, I'm maybe i'm exaggerating by a little all right so he picked 41 20 uh, who goes next me or chris you go ahead will but i picked the same margin 38 17 21 points um, I always, it, not always, but there are times where I've looked at the tech offense and I've picked them to score in the teens and you know, the team will score mid high twenties. Even when I think they're, they're not going to like, I picked 20 points last week and they put 29 on the board, you know? Right. Nonetheless, that's kind of where I am. Uh, kind of the same level as David. Uh, I, I'm the positive one in the group. I only have, <laughs> I only have the Hokies losing by 11 this week, <laughs> 31 to 20. And the fans, uh, if you want to check out Will or excuse me, Chris's preview on TechSideline.com, it's posted now. And at the bottom, you can give your prediction on who's going to win the game on Saturday. So far, with about 500 votes, uh, there is a runaway leader. And the confidence level in Virginia Tech has dropped dramatically over the last couple of weeks. Pitt wins by 11 plus is right around 65%. Two, out, two out of every three wow. votes from the fans. Say and and, and this win. is normally a fan base that, like, a lot of times when we pick Tech to lose a game, people get really mad. Like, like we picked Tech to get stomped in the Sun Bowl by UCLA, and people were really angry at us. <laughs> yeah. Remember? I mean, they were mad we're not true hokies blah 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 and then you know tech went out and, and got stopped happens. by ucla yes. in the sun bowl uh but so so the fact that our fans are actually picking pit to win this game by double, double digits really shows that they just don't have much confidence at all right now yeah they've they picked tech to win every single game this yep. year uh hokies by one to ten over unc 
11 plus over Middle Tennessee, 1 to 10 over WVU, 11 plus over Richmond, and 1 to 10 over Notre Dame. So the mm-hmm. fans have been all five games they picked Tech to win. So they're not going to do it. This so time. I'm interested to know whether it's because they really do feel like Pitt is a bad matchup, which is how, you know, like we feel, or if they think, you know what, I'm just depressed over that loss and I just think Tech is done. I think it's some of both. I think so, too. So the the dirty truth is we put a ton of work into these previews, and a lot of people pull them up, scroll to the bottom, and vote without Absolutely. reading them. Absolutely, yep. You know. So there could be some people reading the preview, seeing that all of you picked 11-plus and going with there also could be people that are just yeah. done with it. And- well, so you watch these things. You post the article, and it's a long article, and the votes start coming into the poll, and like, you know people Within, like, 30 to- seconds, I'm like, <laughs> you do not read my 3,000-word preview. Yeah, that's right. Well... Actually, it just updated. Oh wait, excuse me. That's last uh, last week's poll. That is uh, last week's. I do want to uh, know who the seventeen voters are who think the Hokies are going to win by eleven plus. Well, I, li- I admire your confidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've talked about. Uh, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, like uh, putting up a poll one year. You know what's Virginia Tech's record going to be this year? And if I watched a friend of mine scroll down and hit twelve, and oh, he really doesn't <laughs> believe it. You know? Yeah. That's Could some, just be wishful just thinking. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, hey, listen. Nobody likes being wrong, but like, I would enjoy being wrong this week. I, I hope, certainly hope I'm wrong. Can I read my line? Here's my line. <sighs> Beating the Panthers after a gut wrenching loss to Notre Dame would be a perfectly Justin Fuente thing to do. Because yeah. you want to talk about teams I mean, being inconsistent. It's you, true. You, you you lose at home to Liberty, and then the next week you've got a top fifteen Miami team in town, and you really control that game going into the fourth quarter. And later in that season, you go toe-to-toe with Clemson for three quarters, right? Yeah. The top three team in the country. And blow out Virginia. Right, 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 right. It's just like, how, how do you let those skinny, 160-pound Liberty wide receivers stiff-arm you to death like our DBs did in that game? And then you go out there and physically dominate Clemson's receivers. Yeah. Like, so there's a level of inconsistency in this program, and it can vary on a week-to-week basis so it does make these games kind of hard to predict um i mean obviously the best example is losing 45 to 10 at home to duke to and duke. then eight lays later you're up 28 to nothing on miami like 15 minutes in or something crazy like absolutely that. insane yeah um now, so now part of that's miami you know they're also inconsistent yes a part of that is miami but you know this is also the same pit team that lost to western michigan yeah. western michigan the western michigan team who got beat by 25 this past weekend by ball state so the transitive property of football. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> right. Um, so I mean, it could happen, but like all you can do, like like you you can't guess things like that, right? All you can do is look at the numbers, the analytical numbers, and understand where one team is strong and another team is weak, and make your picks based on that. Yeah. So that that that's why that's why our picks are the way they are this week. Well, I was talking to Malcolm before the show. I was just saying, you never know. That, like it seems like every game you're confident in. The Hokies lose, and the games you don't feel good about, the Hokies find a way to win. So uh, we will see what happens. Before we get into YouTube questions, I do want to touch on Basketball Media Day going down in Charlotte uh, this week. Yesterday was men's. I believe women's is today. Right. And Chris Hirons is down there covering women's basketball. But David Cunningham was covering the men's event yesterday, and a lot of good things said about the Hokies program. Yeah, David and I talked before he left yesterday. And uh, we decided one of the things he should do is ask all the other ACC ACC coaches about what they thought about Virginia Tech's program and what Mike Young was doing and everything like that. So there's a really good article on our homepage right now with a lot of – I think he got quotes from seven of the other ACC coaches about the program that 
I, I think is quite quite strong. None of those none of those guys had any bad things to say about Mike Young. We'll put it that way. Yeah, and there's a if you go to OxVT's Twitter feed, there's a video of a from a couple of years ago of Mike Shishovsky the first time he coached against uh, Mike Young at Virginia Tech. Duke won. Yeah. But it's, it's about a minute and a half of Shusevsky talking about Mike Young and saying, you know, he's one of the best coaches in the country. I had no idea he was from 20 minutes down the road. I, so uh, Shusevsky didn't know where he was from. I, um, I remember when Boz Williams was here, and it was after it was after Wofford beat UNC when Mike Young was the coach at Wofford. Yeah. And uh, I remember, like, Buzz would talk sometimes. And he'd go on these long – people say Buzz was bad with the media, but – he he said some really good stuff sometimes that were always interesting. And uh, I remember him telling us one time that he thought Mike Young was one of the best offensive coaches in the country. Yeah. And that was, you know, way before anybody knew that Mike Young was going to replace Buzz Williams one day at, yeah. at Virginia Tech. So yeah. he's he's highly thought of from his, by his colleagues for sure. Yeah, and, and so it's it's all the preseason op- optimism abounds. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting if you go and read the quotes from the Tech coaches and players, they are brimming with confidence. Um, and as, as a fan, you always get worried that they're too confident, you know. But there, there's, there's a fine line. Some teams in the preseason will sense that they've got something good going on, and that will inspire them to really go after people as opposed to walking. This isn't a program that I would think would think – you know, some programs are historically good, so when they think they got a good team, they kind of, yeah, I'm talking about Miami football. They, they don't do their best because they think they're good. Mm-hmm. What I hope with this team is they, they know they're good. They don't think they're good. They know they're good, and they're going to go out and play to that capability. I hate to do this, but I'll use another Buzz Williams quote. He used, to tell, he used to tell the media that he told the team, true confidence comes from your work, the work you put in. Yeah. Like, so Miami players – because of what the emblem that's on their their helmet, they have false confidence. It's called th- born on third base thinking you hit a trip. Exactly, exactly right. You think you're confident, but you're not really confident. Now, if you put in as the work ethic, if you have a top class work ethic, and you go in there and you're confident because of that, that is real confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put forth the effort in the moment. Right. You prepped. Now put forth the effort. A lot of good things said about the Hokies, including, I believe, Mike Bray had a good quote. Uh, yeah, a lot of good ones. No, Notre Dame's head coach, he said, I was glad we don't have to play them twice this year because they stomped us they last year. Last year. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike Bray also had some good quotes about Mike Jones, too. He, he tried to hire Mike Jones because Mike Bray went to DeMatha. Yes. Also was an assistant there for a long time and sort of, in a way, took the, the Mike Jones path to, to coaching. And... Mike Young didn't know Mike Jones, so he called Mike Bray and said, what do you know about this Mike Jones guy? And Mike Bray, there's a lot of Mikes in here. <laughs> and, and Mike Bray says, you should definitely hire that Mike Jones Mike guy. Jones. Anyway, I might have screwed that up hard. No, you got it right. You got it right. I? Okay. I'm trying to – I'm on David Cunningham's uh, Twitter right now. He does have a really good thread of all of the coaches in the ACC and all yeah, of their yep. comments on Virginia Tech. And it's all in an article on the homepage as well. Yeah. So make sure you go check that out. I'm trying to find the quote that I wanted to get to of David Cunningham and Tony Bennett. Um, <laughs> David Cunningham sitting at lunch at ACC by Media himself. Day by himself. And I believe Tony Bennett, for those who don't know, I'm sure everyone does know, UVA's head men's basketball coach, uh, came up to him and said, this reminds me of middle school when I sat by myself at lunch and then just walked away. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's uh, Whereupon funny. David threw his uh, milk at him. 
yeah. Chocolate, it's chocolate milk. <laughs> um, so the uh, this has all got me wondering, where's the media going to pick Virginia Tech? And uh, so typically that stuff comes out like shortly after kickoff or tip-off event down yep. in Charlotte. But I think I don't. It, it's going to be on the Packer and Durham show because anytime they do that, it just it increases the pressure on Comcast to sign up. Uh huh. I mean, yeah. I, I'll make sure I wake up at six a.m. to watch that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't. I can't remember when it's coming out, but I, I don't think it's like today or tomorrow. I think it's like a few days from now. I, I don't know what the delay will be. Well, and John Rothstein a few weeks back, I think I mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks ago. He picked the Hokies as one of his five Final Four sleepers. So look, I right. mean, they're going. I'd be shocked if they didn't go to the tournament. And at that point, it just depends on how healthy you are and the matchups. There's a few guys you have to keep healthy. you got to keep Storm Murphy and uh, Kev Aluma healthy. And it's sounding like you got to keep Justin Mutz healthy. Yeah. Well, you don't have 13 scholarship players this year, so you really need to keep everybody healthy, or at least all the starters. And we'll we'll keep talking about basketball more and more as the season continues to move closer. Less than four weeks until tip-off in Castle Coliseum on November 9th. So a lot coming up here, but this still is a football podcast. So we're going to send it over to Katie Adams and check on the YouTube comments and questions. Not a ton of questions today. I want to start um, from Eric Fisher. He says, I feel like Hamilton does not call a lot of blitzes compared to Foster. Do you think that's an overall schematic ideology, or is he worried about keeping more guys back in coverage? Uh, I think it just seems to be his uh, philosophy. philosophy. Um, It's also possible that maybe he just doesn't think Tech has great pass rushing linebackers right now. I, I don't know. Maybe that's his evaluation of, of the person. I don't think that's really Dax's forte. Like Dax can charge at you, but you can put a move on him, and he and he doesn't change direction well. Yeah, and I remember Tisdale being like a really good blitzer when he was in high school, and I've been a little more surprised he hasn't been a more effective at it at the college level. But I, I it's probably more a philosophical thing. I bet like Luke Tanuta or Luke Tanuta John, John. Tanuta is like ripping his hair out because all he did is oh, blitz. Tenuta was a blitz machine yeah, yeah. man no i think you have to pick your spots i, I and, and it, a lot of it depends on the opponent i, I think honestly i have no idea what i do with kenny pickett because i think he, he's gonna he can torch you either way yeah. so pick your poison yeah. um i think tech made a mistake sitting back against notre dame when cone came back in the game because you have video evidence of him when he's under pressure making horrible decisions and so I, th- I don't I don't think they handled that well, but yeah, generally I, I do think it's a, it's f- philosophical more than anything. Yep. So that was the only question I was going to ask. So I wrote one in myself, okay. and then someone, and then a question came in that was pretty similar to mine. So I just kind of want to talk about the legitimate probability if Braxton goes down with a hurt shoulder again, Knox Kadem comes in. What happens if he starts throwing interceptions, if he's having trouble in the pocket? Fuente already said that Taj Bullock is not game ready. Mm-hmm. Connor Bullock is down, down. Last year, he said that James Mitchell would be the next quarterback up. He's hurt. Obviously, that wouldn't actually happen. But, I mean, just what is the probability you, of Well, that? you what mean happens? who is the extreme emergency option at quarterback now for I, Virginia Tech? Yeah, I wonder, yeah. Uh, probably Tavion. Tavion, I think, played played high school quarterback. In fact, I know he did. Uh, yeah. Jaden Payute played a little bit of high school quarterback. But, honestly, I don't think it matters. I, I, <laughs> I, I think if you get down to a Knox Kadem situation and and he melts down, uh, I don't think they bring in Bullock. I think they just hand the football off. Yeah, and, and take your L's. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's just what you do. Uh, because I don't want to – I don't want to harm Taj Bullock's future because – 
everybody else isn't good enough, right? And people have to remember, as we've said repeatedly, it's not that we don't have uh, confidence in Taj Bullock. He's just not learning the playbook. He's working with the scout team. He's getting more reps this week as an emergency guy. But that's but, just but, but it's it's not enough. And he's a true freshman, for goodness yeah. sake. Dude, Michael Vick redshirted, okay? I mean, some dudes need to redshirt. It, it, uh, it doesn't – it's not reflective on where they're going to be three years from now or four years from now or anything like that. Now, my worry is not about – where Bullock is right now, it's based on every other quarterback Tech has had over the last five or so years, is where's Bullock going to be five years from now? And by that, I mean not only how much has he developed, but is he going to be playing for somebody else? Those are my main worries. Like I, I think he's just fine for where he is right now. I have no, no issue at all. But it's, it's overall development over the course of years at Virginia Tech. Um, that's – that's where I'm. That's what I'm concerned about. I think they have a couple of good guys in the pipeline. This isn't relevant to the question, but you know, Bullock, six four two twenty eight. Um, that's bigger than anybody they've had since Gerard. Or I mean, Ryan Willis wasn't big. Yeah. Hannah Hooker wasn't big. Burmeister's not big, and it just looks like you need a bigger he's, guy. He's mini Quincy Patterson, yeah. um, and so is Alex Orgy, who will, who will come in next year, who I think is an exceptionally talented player. Yeah. Um, now I will say that. If, if Bullock's going to be out a month, you got four games you can play and still redshirt. Um, Bullock doesn't need like that big squat Friday that everybody else needs. He's already big enough. Yeah. Um, and if you don't want Vermeister doing quarterback sneaks on on short yardage situations and having four 300-pound linemen you, land on top of him. You meant that Blumwerk's going to be out a month. Right? Blumwerk's going to be out a okay. month. So for that month, I mean, you, you could use – Taj Bullock is your short yardage, goal line, whatever. Give him Quincy Patterson package. I would have him in practice taking snaps from under center and just bulldozing ahead. You've heard my rants. 6'4", 228, do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess the question there is if Braxton Burmeister does go down and can't return against Pitt or in another game, you're you're basically well, just going to mail that one in and see what happens. Well, I, I, I think Kadem will come in. My, well, Kadem would come he in. He would come in, but – that limits your offense significantly. It's already limited significantly. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I just don't think, yes, there you would have to do something. I mean, you, know, you bring Kadem in, and if something happens to him, then you make a decision on what to do after that. But at that point, like, I don't think it would matter what decision they made. The result's going to be the same. Uh, y'all are making me a big Knox Kadem fan. <laughs> like like that, that pass, the hitch and go late against Notre Dame that uh, Burmeister and Turner just barely missed. I want to see Knox Kadem hit that pass. If he has to. Yes. I'm not saying put him in and have him throw it. I'm saying (laughs) if he winds up in that situation, I want to see him hit it. Of course I want to see him hit it, but I think any situation where he's got to come into the game – and we're, yeah. and we're we're not we're, we're in a really bad situation, not necessarily because of him, right. but it's because Burmeister has gotten hurt or the yeah. game is out of hand yeah. or something like that. All right, well, thank you for dropping the questions in the YouTube chat today, and thank you, Katie, for going through those for us before we wrap up here. Any final thoughts on Pitt coming up on Saturday? Maybe your last chance of the year to have a good tailgate, so take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a 3.30 game, and what's that yeah. face for? What are you doing that face <laughs> That's for? That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Serious. Uh, Syracuse is at 12.30. Um, Unless you like get up super early, you, that's going to be tough. And Lord knows what the weather is going to be like for Duke in yeah, November, yeah. or and it'll probably be a it's new just game not anyway. likely to be right. Yeah. Right. So, so this is it, man. This is it. 
enjoy it. I mean, if, if you're a if if you're if you're one of those all day, it's not just a football game to me. It's going and seeing friends and having a good time. Then this is, might be your last chance. I, I went to Center Street for the first time in a couple of years for the Notre Dame game. Yeah, I stopped by his house on the way, and yeah, uh, and it was just start. Business was just starting to pick up, and that was around one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Man, it's just it's such a spectacle. Yeah. Highly I, recommended. I believe somebody uh, – the Barstool Sports Show was in town on Saturday for the Notre Dame game, and they they had some nice things to say about Center I, Street. I saw their bus parked actually downtown uh, on Friday night. So they made – I think they said they were going to try to go to every bar in Blacksburg on Friday night. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, didn't, I went to several of them myself, and I didn't run into any of them. How does that company make money? I, I don't know. Ads, sponsorships. Ads. I've, yeah. I've never actually – gone to their site to be honest with you wow okay all right well that's going to wrap it up on episode 199 of the tech sideline podcast chris previews already out on techsideline.com mm-hmm. what else is coming up oh inside the numbers tomorrow uh david cunningham is going to have some more stuff there were more football interviews today chris hirons will have a women's basketball preview from mm-hmm. down in charlotte and then friday q a uh, as usual on Friday, I think, which I think I'll be able to write tomorrow and take Friday off again. It'd be Perfect. Great. Perfect. And then a lot coming up after the game as well. David will have his game recap, Chris's Sunday article, and then we'll have his Monday thoughts as well. I don't know, man. I got to prep. I think I'm going to host the podcast on Monday. Yes, I will be out of town on Monday. And so, so it's, it's podcast number 200. So I know. Is I'm it di- really? I'm disappointed oh, yeah, that I'm not going to be here. For is, number is, 200. is really podcast 200 going to be reviewing the pit game? Well, you know what? We can take some time and talk about other stuff. Like, like we can give the history of the of the TSL podcast. We can spend a few minutes talking about that because it's a it. It looks like we had this awesome master plan, and now you know, like most things, you just kind of stumble along and find your way. But so we can talk about that a little bit. Um, and you know, I, uh, so it's on me. I'm going to be hosting it, so it's on me to <laughs> to make it a good show. I know. I, when I was looking through the calendar, like marking off, okay, one in, 198, 199, I was like, Don't. 200, that's the one that I can't make. So, yeah. um, But I, I'm sure you guys will have a great show. I think you're going to try and get David on the show as well. So Yeah, I think uh, so. We've, we've been doing the Monday podcast mostly in the morning. Um, we did it in the afternoon the other day. And I think we're going to do Mondays in the afternoon as well. So I'll be in your chair. Chris will be there. And I think we're going to have David over here. Perfect. I will... Try and tune in while I'm out of town, but uh, I hope you guys have a good show, and then I'll be back on Wednesday to get ready for Syracuse next Saturday in Lane Stadium. That's going to do it for episode 199 of the Tech Sideline podcast, previewing the pit game, a huge matchup on Saturday, 3.30 kickoff in Lane Stadium. Hokies can win and take control of the ACC Coastal at it with a 2-0 record in the ACC. We hope you enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and we'll see you on Monday.